Good morning. I just realized my mic has been on this whole time, so thank you, Kurt. Like, on behalf of the church, thank you. So, <laughs> um, my name's Eric. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. Um, I am one of the overseer, te- I'm part of the overseer team at Hiawatha. Over the summers, we um, each take turns preaching, both um, so that you can hear our voices and know us a little bit, but also so that we can give the pastors a little bit of a break. So we are now in, I think, I'm the seventh to go, sixth to go this summer, and um, we have one more, right? Chris is going, and then Spencer, Spencer's coming back and preaching towards the end of the summer. So, so I hope you've enjoyed it for people who have been here for that. Hope you've seen the diversity in kind of not only um, our... Um, where we come from and um, what we do, uh, but also in our, in our voice. And I hope you see the consistency in our message. That's kind of the idea behind all of this. So I'll pray for that today. Before we get started, let me make sure this is on here. Okay. So we're in a, um, a series on 2 Timothy right now. We'll be finishing this up here. Um, I think we're in week four right now. We'll be finishing up by the end of the summer. But before we get started... I wanted to introduce my family. Most of you guys probably know Leah. She's up here doing announcements. She leads the women's ministry. This is an older picture, picture so she's cut her hair since then. Um, but um, Leah and I have been married for 23 years as of next week. And so um, we've had a great life, endured um, lots of great things, but also suffering together in that life together. And so we're, we'll be talking about suffering. That's why I'm referring to this. Um, and then our three kids, Calvin, Isaac, and Rose, who many of you know, are, and Cassidy, who has been dating Calvin for the, next, or for the last two years here. Actually, today is their anniversary in dating. <laughs> so wish them a happy anniversary. But over these last couple of years, Cassidy's been grafting into our, our family as well. So I wanted to include her in on that. And since we're going to be talking about suffering today, I thought I would go through each one and how they're suffering individually. <laughs> and that's what, that'll be the sermon. Okay? So that'll be good. Just get ready. All right. Okay, um, so today we're going to be talking about being strengthened by grace coming from 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. You'll open your Bibles with me or, or your Bible apps. You can read along. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please this commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Let's pray. God, I, just, I pray for that. As we reflect on this section of the word, I pray for insight. I pray that we are um, encouraged, that we're reminded of the gospel, that you're, we're reminded of your love for us, that we're encouraged in that, and that we're renewed in that for this week. That's, that's the goal of this time together, and I pray that um, you help us to do that. Give us insight. Give us understanding. Um, and give us grace, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, first for a bit of context here. This is a letter written by Paul, an apostle, 
who is it's like an early church leader or, or a teacher, um, to his mentor, uh, or his mentee, Timothy, a pastor of the church that Paul helped us start. So here's a picture of what they could look like. Um, we have this running joke where, like, and we reuse this. This is an actual photo. This is not an actual photo, um, just to be clear. Um, so I showed this to Leah last night, and she's like, you have to change that. They're way too white. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Like, it's, they're, they're whitewashed. So here's a picture of a whitewashed version of... Timothy and Paul, or how they could have looked. Um, this depicts a time when they were ministering together, and they show, it shows their closeness. And Paul, Paul looked to Timothy as a spiritual son. At the time that the letter was written, later, um, they were separated. That's why they needed the letter. So Paul, I don't think I have a pointer here, Paul was in Rome, and Timothy was in Ephesus leading the church that Paul helped to start. So there were, there's about 5,000 miles in between them. This is what they probably looked like during the time of writing the letter. <laughs> so Paul was in jail. So, um, so he was suffering for the gospel already. This was his second time in jail. He was already, or he was on his way to death, actually, and he probably knew it when he was writing these letters. So this can be seen as kind of a last word. And Timothy was suffering, so you can see through my like, superior artistry, he's very sad in this picture. Um, so at this time, Christians were being persecuted, and it was really ramping up. Timothy and, and really all the leaders in the faith at the time were facing a lot of opposition and persecution from the, by the Roman government. Life was hard for them. Ministry was harder. Um, so... Paul took this opportunity in his last letter to give these last words to Timothy, to call him to endure amid opposition and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, like I said, this is a letter um, of a pastor writing to another pastor, so it's a lot about ministry. And um, Caleb preached a similar passage, actually, in chapter 1. This is kind of the, a renewal of the same appeal that Caleb preached again uh, on a few weeks ago, and he really kind of focused in on that idea of in ministry, and it's worth it, right? We're doing a good thing in ministry and endure the suffering, knowing that we're doing a good thing, but not us, Christ who does that good thing. And so I'm not going to go into that. Where I want to focus on today is really bigger picture suffering and how do we endure suffering and hardship in general and encouragements that we can gain from this passage on that. So suffering. Um, are you suffering right now? You probably are. Most people have some sort of suffering in their life that we're enduring. Someone close to us that's suffering. Have you suffered in your past? Probably. How have you suffered? Like, as you dwell on that, how do you think about it? What brought you through that suffering? Suffering is universal. We have all suffered, although we feel alone in suffering a lot. We will all suffer. It's part of our human experience. It's multifaceted, and it shows up in different ways, whether it's physical suffering, mental suffering, spiritual suffering, or emotional suffering. It's not evenly dis distributed. It's not fair. Just uh, because you are suffering, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. I think that's important for us to know. We all experience it. And as Christians, we suffer too. 
Sometimes we might feel like we have to fake it and not show we're suffering because it shows like some lesser form of faith in us or are we burden other people and that's not really what we want to do. We don't, we don't want to be, especially in Minnesota, we don't want to be off-putting or too much of a burden. Um, but that's not true either. Like we suffer. We can really suffer as Christians and we can suffer well as Christians. And I think this passage has some good words for us in that. Some good encouragements. So let's dig into it. Verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is the grace that is in Christ Jesus? That's the question I have for here. So to dig into that, I went back to Caleb's passage because he got a lot more help with these answers than I got. Um, to 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. It says, He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So there's a lot here. A couple things I, I want us to take away from this. One is, he saved us and he called us into a holy life. Not because we have done anything, or sorry, I'm rereading this from my notes. Um, he has saved us and called us by his grace, not by our works. Not because of anything we have done, but according to his own grace and his own purpose. He has done it before the beginning of time. We couldn't even have affected it. We weren't even here to affect it. Um, and he, it has been revealed to us through the appearing of Christ, not because we've done something to bring it forth, right? And so th these are things, it's obvious, and, and I think we preach this every week, and you probably hear it, and it's easy to hear it, and be like, yeah, Doug, great, I'm glad. I hope somebody here who's not a Christian hears that. I think this is something for us to hear as Christians, too. We need to be reminded of this. Um, one thing here that I thought was interesting is just like this idea of going from suffering and within suffering, talking about this big picture of what Christ has done for us, and, and really the saving, our, um, saving us from death. And I think the reason we're being pointed to this in suffering is because both suffering and death are a result of the fall. So we were created originally to have perfect union with God and each other. And that was corrupted by Adam's sin. Sin is basically trusting God over, or trusting ourselves or other things over God. And so in that, in that fall, corruption, in that fall, that's where all of this suffering comes from. And so knowing that doesn't remove the suffering, but I think it puts it in perspective, of, of, uh, puts it in perspective for us. And the hope that we have in the grace that Christ gives us is that he has destroyed that death and he has brought life and immortality. It widens our lens. It takes us to an eternal perspective through the suffering. And I think it's important for us to see that and continue to remember and remind each other of that. Grace is then, based on this, what is that grace? Grace is undeserved favor, but I think it's more than just undeserved favor. Undeserved favor is being brought, kind of reconciled with God, being brought back to even or even better, like we've, we've been given this eternal life now. But also it's power. Paul also says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
Grace is not just undeserved favor. It's the power for living. Like going back to this same grace is our power for living as we walk as Christians. He did not save us and then pass the baton to us to live perfectly with a, a list of conditions or guidelines in the New Testament. But really, he's pointing us back to himself and the grace that he's given us. That is sufficient to walk in all the things he gives us. That should be good news to us. That should be relief to us. We shouldn't feel the burdens of, I have to live the Christian life right. Or, or maybe that's why I'm suffering, because I'm not doing that right. But if I would just suffer, do this better, I would suffer less. Or if that other person actually didn't do that, you know, maybe they would suffer less. It's not about that. That's not what grace is. We don't measure those things. Grace doesn't measure those things. Grace um, brings us back to it's all been paid for us. And there is no measurement anymore because there's no condition or work that we have to do to earn it. So, the, so if grace is undeserved favor and power for living, then how do we get strong in it? We get strong in it by being weak. When praying for God to remove the thorn from his side, which is a suffering that Paul experienced himself. Um, he prayed multiple times, and he was not relieved of it. And he said he was told by God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so how we get this power is, is antithetical to how we might think we get this power. It's different than what we're told on how to get power. Usually it's exercise, work harder, be smarter about it access into some spiritual power, but it's actually becoming weaker. It's actually recognizing that we don't do the work, so why do we keep trying to do the work and get in the way of that, and then, but we, rather, he does the work, and so as we weaken, we, that power comes to us, and we can be stronger in that grace. Okay, so I'm going to try an analogy. I'm not very good at analogies, so have some grace for me, but um, how many of you know what wakeboarding is? I tried it. I, when we were in our 20s, Leah and I um, decided we wanted to learn how to wakeboard. And so we were in, we lived in Arkansas, which is a whole other story I won't get into. We bought this used boat and some wakeboards, and we're like, we're going to, this summer, we're going to learn how to wakeboard. And I was kind of, I was awful at it. Leah picked it up really quickly, of course, because she like listens to instruction and actually <laughs> does things. But people would say to me like, just trust the boat, you know? And so what you do is you kind of sit in this ready position, right? And so you're in the water um, at the mercy of the driver, and the driver, you tell them when you're ready, and they go, right? And you kind of, the idea is that you trust the boat to pull you up on the water, and then you kind of ride along, and you have a lot of fun. You look like you're doing this. Um, and then, really, you try to do this, which is what I tried to do every time, is just jump. I thought it was the funnest thing. But really, for me, what I looked like was this. <laughs> and this. Um, so I was worried about time, like filling out my time. So I have 30 more of these pictures, actually. <laughs> um, so, but the problem I had in getting up with the wakeboard was um, I was muscling my way through it, right? I, I was like not calm. I was not tense. People would say, just like, straighten your arms. Let the boat pull you up. And so what I would do is I would straighten my arms and then let the boat, but what I would do is lean back against the boat. And so I was just being drugged through the water with the, the water pounding against the bottom of the board and, and all my strength, I was like holding it and finally I get exhausted and I let go and 
I'm drenched and embarrassed. And then so next time I'm like, okay, I'm going to let the boat pull me up. And so I, I kind of twist my board a little bit. I come up and I like pull myself out of the water with the rope. But what happens when you, when you do that is you actually get ahead of the, the boat pulling you and you just face plant. You look like this. And so it was over and over and over again where I'm just like constantly trying to muscle my way through something that is supposed to be easy, right? And I just am fighting against it. I think this is a picture of being weak. This is, this is hard for me. It was exhausting, actually. As I get older, I realize how much more like this relates to my life. Like how, I realize how futile my efforts are to muscle my way through things. Um, and my, I don't really, I don't actually change anything, right? I don't change people's hearts I'm, in my parenting, in ministry, in work, in all areas of life, for as much as I can tell people, just do this. Or I can tell myself, if I just did it this way, it'll work. Like, the, the, here's the handbook on the right way to parent. Here's this, here's that. But, um, but actually, me muscling my way through these things, these roles that I have, these, um, these duties um, and joys, like, it doesn't work. I, it has, I've been brought back to this humility over and over again, and I think that's what suffering does for us. It brings us back to our weakness so that we can look to the true heart changer. We can look through the true solver of our problems in, uh, in life. Being strong in the grace of Jesus is being weak in ourselves. Um, by being weak in ourselves mean, means being humble, admitting sin, and faithfully going to Jesus for our strength. Suffering brings us low and helps us to see our weakness and points us to something beyond the suffering in front of us. It points us to a promise that all, all who are in Christ will be restored and suffering will no longer exist. So when we're in our suffering, we, we want to take that opportunity to be, to be brought back to Jesus. It's not good, it's not fun, but there is an opportunity there for us for God to, to make it good and to mature us out of that. Um, this is a quote that I picked up from one of the articles I was reading uh, by Charles Spurgeon that I really liked. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I thought this was just a really sweet, way simpler depiction of it than what I could do. So there you go. Okay, um, verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to, to teach others. I think it's supposed to be teach others. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so the, the thing I want to say here, first, like, so this, again, this passage is actually a pastor writing to a pastor. I've said that three times now. Um, we've, already, um, we've already talked about like, the ministry part of that, like keep on in your ministry do that in partnership. I think the thing that we can take, take away from this is we are not alone in our suffering and in this life. In community, we can experience Christ through the sharing of suffering, love, and support. Paul says, God comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive from God. 
For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Something happens when we let ourselves suffer in community. Like, not only do we receive the grace and we're reminded of truth in Christ, but we actually feel it, right? It can be through meals, it can be through weeping together, it can be through crying together, because Jesus came low to be in suffering with us, right? So we can experience Jesus through that. But also Jesus um, comforts us and and, um, comes alongside and brings us out of that as well. And we can kind of encourage people and try to provide relief for each other and point to Jesus through that as well. Um, We all suffer differently, and I like to suffer alone. I'm kind of a grinded-out person. I I buckle down, and that's when I go quiet on things. I'm just kind of pushing through usually. And so this is really hard for me. Um, But what I'm, I'm learning as I've kind of shared different things, like hardships at work or struggles as I parent or being a husband to Leah, um, is that when I share in that, I actually, I have experienced this, like sharing of the sufferings and the sharing of the comfort. I want to encourage you to do that as well. If you you feel like you have sufferings, it's not a burden. Not not a burden that we shouldn't be taking on as a church uh, together. It's definitely not a burden that you are to take on alone. And as we do that, we can share that, but also like point to how Jesus, again, like, helps us through that and, and solves, a, solves the original problem of suffering. So encouragement number two, when we share in suffering and community, we experience the tangible love and the comfort that God has for us in Christ. For the third encouragement, um, I want to go to the next section, so we're not going to go through each individual verse here, don't worry. But... Uh, So let me read this to us. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. We love charts. It's been a while since we've had a chart, so I wanted to bring them back. Um, so to organize this, so there's kind of three, like we see three images of suffering or what it looks like to suffer here. Um, and each one of them carries this exhortation, and it also carries a promise alongside of that individually. So as a soldier, it really is, if we if kind of look at other places in the Bible here, it's an encouragement to be single-minded or to focus. Right, focus on, especially in ministry, focus on what you're actually trying to do. What's really going to solve the problem here? What is the problem? Is the problem our hearts? Is the problem our, our actions? Like th- those are the, the, the uh, things that we, we think about and want to focus on in ministry. But also it's the same in life, right? And if you do that, then you will please the commander. A good soldier would please the commander if he stays focused. That's what this says. Um, an athlete... Um, the, really the, the encouragement here is to have integrity, right? It says don't cheat, right? Don't break the rules to get to the end result. And if you do that, you will get the victor's crown. And then lastly, the farmer, if you work hard, then you will get the first share of the crops. This feels very like what we're used to, right? You work, you do your part, and you get what you're supposed to get out of it. It feels like the opposite of grace, um, 
when we are suffering, we are weakened. Um, sin can come back, or sin can entangle and distract us. We can be enticed to find an easier way or cut corners. We can give in to laziness and convince ourselves it's rest. Paul is specifically encouraging Timothy away from these things and connects the, 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 each of these promises with them. So here's the question I had for this. Are these new promises? Like, is, is Paul introducing something new here off of what he just broke down, what grace was beforehand? And I would say no. I think these are... I think these are the same promise. These are pictures of the eternal life and the promise that we have of immortality with Christ. So then, if that's the case, then the next question I had was, so does this mean, does this mean we can earn the promises? Because that's what this sounds like here, right? If we work hard and if we stay focused and if we have integrity, so we do it according to the rules, then we have a path to this promise, and that's not what Paul said before. So how does this work? So my, my answer to that is no, just to be clear. Um, but what I do want to do is entertain it for a minute. Like, what if that were true? What I don't see here is where, what's the line? Like, how much, how, how much integrity do we need to have to then be able to attain that promise? How hard do we have to work? How much do we have to focus and stay single-minded, right? There, it, it's endless, and it's a burden for us. And so I don't think Paul is putting that on Timothy, and I don't think that's put on us either as we read the New Testament. We shouldn't be reading these as conditions. We can read them as um, encouragements, right? There, there are things. We do want to think about that. Am I being single-minded? Yes. Or not, not all the time, but, you know, we want to think about it. Uh, am I working hard? Like, those are good uh, things for us to consider. But at the end of the day, if we treat them like conditions, then it becomes dangerous. Then our faith becomes more about us, and we will fail at these things, right? There is no, there is no line that we can get past and, me- and measure these to a point where we say, okay, I'm done. Now I can, you can say, well done, good and faithful servant to me. That's not what this is about. Even if we know that's true, or this is not true, I think our heart can still gravitate towards that, right? We can still, like, tend towards this idea of either self-pride that I'm doing a good job or judging where maybe I'm doing better than others on these things or shame that I'm missing the mark on these areas. And so I just want to say, if you feel those things, that's a good indicator that you're having a... You're thinking that your salvation and your sanctification, which is growing along the Christian journey, is reliance on you. And that's not what Paul said. We read that already. So I want to caution you against that. And that's, that's what we're trying to like bring forth when you hear us preach on this here. All right, so um, let me say the true answer. If we can't do this, and this is what it takes to earn these things, then... How do we get the promises? We've talked about this already. So we have in Jesus a perfect version of these things, right? That when we read these passages that feel daunting and impossible, and they are, then we should then think about, well, who has done this? And what does that mean? Jesus lived his life perfectly without sin. He fulfilled the law with integrity. 
And even while his people were being physically oppressed around him, he had a singular focus on freeing all people from our spiritual oppression. And at which point God said, well done, good and faithful servant, pleasing him, and becoming himself the first fruits of the resurrection and the crown of life that is promised to us. Like this is, so Jesus is on the doer side of all of these endurances that we're called into, and he is on the receiving, like we receive him, we receive them through him on that side as well. He is the crown of life. He is the um, first fruits of the resurrection. He planned this for us. He, but the Bible says that Jesus did all of these things out of, not out of obligation, but for joy. So it's not like he said, okay, well, if this is what it takes, I'll do it. But actually, he sees us as a joy. This is a love that we can know, and the more that we dive into this and like explore it, the more we, should be cha- we can be changed by love, not by direction. So the third encouragement that I want to take away from here is suffering well is not a condition of the promise, but through it we will know Christ more. So as we kind of know that we have been called into this endurance like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer, um, we, and we know that we can't do it, then it pushes us more into Jesus. Right? That's where we should go with this. Okay, so this, this is uncomfortable, un, like, this is confusing, right? It's this idea of, like, well, how am I supposed to do things, but God does all the work, but I'm supposed to do something clearly because it says to be that. And so Paul kind of answers this with a bonus encouragement. So he says, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight in all of this. So it seems like this caveat, right? Like a legal writer of, like, I get it, it's, this is really confusing. You're not really going to get it. I can't explain this clearly because it's complex and um, a mystery to us. Um, but, but he says, just reflect on it, and God will give you understanding of that. So it seems dismissive. But I think that, that same like, dichotomy or that same confusion, circular, mo- like, circular reference uh, exists here too, right? If we reflect, then we get understanding from the Lord. And so... Um, I think this is what the Christian life is about for us, guys. I think it is how do we re- like, continue to make ourselves low and realize we're weak and see Christ and point each other towards Christ and be Christ t- for each other in some way as community. And then we kind of have more confidence in the hope that he provides for us. And then when we suffer again or when someone else in our community suffers, we can point them towards that and be comforted in that. And as we share in suffering, the, uh, the suffering of Christ in these ways, um, the Bible says we share in the resurrection of Christ, and that's the hope that we have here. So, and that's my hope for us today. So with that, let me pray, and we'll move into our last songs here. Thanks. God, thank you so much that you... Um, you have a solution for death and that you are, are the solution for death and, the, and thus the solution for suffering. Not that suffering goes away from us because we're in you, but we ha- can have a different perspective um, looking, looking to eternity, Lord. And then in that perspective, we can see that these present afflictions are nothing compared to the glory that we will receive. I pray that we... 
um, know that, that we can reflect on that, we can roll around it a little bit, and I pray that you give us more and more understanding um, as, we, as we mature and as we, as we press on in this life. Thank you so much, Jesus, for the love that you've shown us, and I pray that it changes our hearts more and more every day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.